الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما امروا الا ليعبدوا الله مخلصين له الدين سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم there are three levels to the deen of islam if a person can acquire and attain all of these three levels all of these three levels then such a person gets the qurb of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such a person becomes amongst the people who is drawn near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first level is ilm. Usula ilm to acquire knowledge. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, Talab al-ilmi faridatun ala kulli muslimin wa muslimah. That to acquire and attain knowledge of the deen is mandatory on every male and female muslim. Because the Prophet said here, Farz. So that knowledge that is going to be Farz and mandatory is that knowledge that we need to do in our life what is Farz and mandatory. And that is knowledge of the deen. Without knowledge of the deen, we cannot get the hidayah from the Quran and Sunnah. Without knowledge from the deen, we cannot do amal on the Quran and Sunnah. Without knowledge from the deen, we will not be able to save ourselves from the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of these things are fars and are mandatory. So a basic level of knowledge, an essential level of knowledge is required. That is the first level. That is not our topic for tonight. Second level is ilm. That a person must practice what they know. It's not sufficient to know. And what we're talking about here again is sufficient to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If ilm was enough, then shaitan has a lot of ilm. If ilm was enough for maghfirat, if ilm was enough for kubuliyat, then shaitan has more ilm than any of the alims in the Muslim world. Ilm alone is not sufficient for the kurb, maghfirat, the closeness and the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person must have amal. The more amal that we do, the Prophet said in Man amila bima alima that that person who practices what they know wallahu ilma malam yatlam that Allah subhanahu will bestow upon them knowledge of that which they don't know. The more we practice the knowledge that we have, the more knowledge Allah subhanahu will give us. That is why the Sahabi Karam were people who used to learn something and practice it immediately. Many of you have heard this very famous statement about Surah Al-Baqarah. That Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that Surah Baqarah was revealed over two years and it took us those two years to practice Surah Baqarah. That after two plus years when the surah, revelation of Surah Baqarah was finished, at that point also our amal on it was finished. Some people misunderstand and they think that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq is saying that we had Surah Baqarah and it took us two and a half years to learn how to do amal on it. It doesn't mean that. It meant that the surah was revealed over two odd years and it took two odd years for the Sahaba to do amal on that surah properly. means every ayah that came down, they did amal on it. Another ayah came down, they did amal on it. Their amal was in tandem with their ilm. Not that their amal was in a two and a half year delay lapse behind their ilm. 
Everything they knew, they practiced. Anything and everything they knew, they would practice it immediately. That is something that me and you like. That is an attribute that we are very far from. We have a lot of ilm that we don't practice. We come to gatherings and acquire ilm, but there is a long delay in our ability to practice that ilm. So we have to have ilm on our ummah. So the first level of the deen was ilm. The second level of the deen was amal. Also amal is not our topic for tonight. Many times I've spoken to many of you on the benefits and virtues of acquiring knowledge of the deen. Many times we've spoken about the need to increase our amal ibadat practice on the deen. But there's a third level to our deen, and that is known as ikhlas. Ikhlas means sincerity, purity. To be a true mu'min, to be a true human, to be a true person, to be a true son, to be a true daughter, to be a true member of society, to be a true member of this ummah, ikhlas. Includes each and every one of these things. Without ikhlas, a person's ilm will not benefit them. Without ikhlas, a person's amal will not benefit them. And in my humble analysis, that today what we are lacking in number one, even though we are very lacking in our amal, many of us may be very lacking in our ilm, but we are most lacking in our ikhlas. Because you see, that person who has ikhlas, Allah subhanahu will bestow upon them ilm. That person who has ikhlas, Allah subhanahu will guide that person to ilm. That person who has ikhlas, Allah subhanahu will want to see that person doing amal. Allah ta'ala will guide that person to amal. So actually our lack of amal and maybe our shortness of ilm or our inability to do amal on our ilm can be attributed to our lack of ikhlas. That we are not people who are mukhlis. We are neither mukhlis to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are neither mukhlis to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam. We are neither mukhlis to our members being a member of this ummah. We are many of us may not even be mukhlis to members of our family, members of our society. We've lost our ikhlas. And mukhlisin is a word that comes over and over in the Qur'an al-Kareem. In fact, all of you know one of the most famous surahs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to have it labeled, Surah al-Ikhlas. Actually the surah is about Tawheed. Let's say Allah subhanahu wa was teaching to the Prophet that I've revealed this surah, which is the paramount explanation of Tawheed, Kun Allahu Ahad. But know that the benefit of this Tawheed is going to be attained by that person who has ikhlas. So call the surah Surah Al-Ikhlas. Even though the surah is about Tawheed, we would have using our aql would have labeled it Surah Tawheed. In fact, just to show you the inability of the aql to comprehend the Quran al-Kareem, this is another very big misconception that people have. That we can understand the Qur'an al-Kareem on the basis of our aql. We cannot understand the Qur'an on the basis of aql alone. If I was to erase all of the titles of the surahs and put the Qur'an al-Kareem in front of you, your aql could not even come up with the title for a surah. And the title of the surah is actually not even part of the Qur'an. The title of the surah is actually technically part of hadith that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that this surah will be called this. Otherwise, surah al-Ikhlas is not part of the tilawat. It's not part of the wahi. It's not part of the revelation. Our aql would not even be able to come up with even just this short surah that all of us know. No aql in the world would have told you to title this surah, surah al-Ikhlas. You've never known. This is how we must learn the Qur'an al-Kareem from the teachings of Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa to imagine or suggest that we don't need the Prophet to understand the Qur'an, we would not even be able to come up with the title if it was not for Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa
So we felt that tonight we should speak on ikhlas. Ikhlas is something that is very difficult to attain. You would think it would be the easiest. Getting ilm, oh, you have to spend so much time and studying and effort and reading. Doing amal, you have to do mujahida on your nafs, wake yourself up in the morning. You would think that ikhlas is the easiest one. No, no, no. Ikhlas is the most difficult one of the three levels of the deen to attain. Even sometimes a person who has ilm and has amal, even for such a person it can be difficult sometimes to get ikhlas. And it doesn't mean that we should only think about acquiring ikhlas after we have ilm and have amal. No. We are people who are in such desperate need that I also feel, secondly, that actually we need to begin with ikhlas. If we begin our journey with ikhlas, we become people of ikhlas, like I already told you, the ilm and the amal would follow. That person who tries to get ikhlas will understand how difficult it is. And if you look at this people of our early ummat, early Muslims, they had so much ilm, they had so much amal, but they always had their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they would do so much ibadat, so much amal, and they would say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end of a whole night of ibadat, ma abadna haqqa ibadatik, that oh Allah, we have not worshipped you as you deserve to be worshipped. We do not worship you as it is your haqq to have been worshipped. Allahu kabira. And we, after making a small salah, we think that we accomplished a major thing. If some young man manages to wake up someday for Fajr, he thinks he has made a huge accomplishment. And these people used to pray tahajjud regularly. And after their tahajjud, they used to say, Ma abadna haqqa ibadati. Ya Allah, we have not worshipped you as you deserve to be worshipped. They had so much ill, so much knowledge of Quran, Sunnah, Usul, Marifat. And at the end of all of that ilm, all of that study, all of that teaching, all of that reflection, they used to say to Allah Subhanahu Ma Arafna Hakka Marifatik that Ya Allah, we have not known you as it is your right over us that we would have known you. We have not discovered your hakikat and understood your azmat as we should have valued you. Allah Akbar. And we who learn one small little maybe meaning of a hadith or some little philosophical explanation, we think we have marifat of the whole world and the universe. We understand the whole human condition. And we, because it's our field, when you work in the university, you continually meet people, whether they're professors or students, Allah Akbar. Ek se ek barkar Right? Allah Akbar. And the real alamas, the people who had ilm of the deen, ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ilm of the asmal husna, they had the marifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not the marifat of makhluk. They felt that they didn't have deep learning. This was their ikhlas. Ikhlas humbles a person. I gave you a call. In the Quran al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu mentions a group of people. That they are people who sleep in the light a very little, qalil, a very little part. It means they spend the bulk of their night in worship. They spent the bulk of their night in tahajjid, qiyamul layl, tilawat. They were worshipping all night. 
And then what do they do at the end of that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And that ashar and suhoor and every time, they're asking Allah ta'ala for maghfirat. Allah subhanahu These people being described in Quran that they spent most of the night in worship. At the end of such a night, they would be asking Allah for forgiveness. And are you spend the night in partying and concerts and music and events? And they spend the night and they go to sleep at the end of the night without even doing istighfar, without even intending to wake up for fajr. It's such a big difference. You don't realize the big difference between us and the early Muslims. We don't realize the huge gap between us and the way the Qur'an wants a human being to be. What is the Qur'anic human and what are we? This is how the Qur'an is describing a person. If me and you ever managed to spend a whole night in worship, we're not going to say istighfar at the end. We're going to whip out our dua list. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa we've been worshipping you all night. After one night of worship, we are mustahik to Allah, give me this, Allah ta'ala, give me that, give me this, give me that. Allah Akbar. And we'll make sure the next day to tell someone that jihad bade neen dariye, chaldi utta ta, tahajid ki namaz pade Right? We will make sure that everybody knows. <laughs> also, after one night of worship, and these people in the Arabic language, when you use the verb kana, kana comes from istimar, means regularly. It means kanu kalina min means that they regularly, consistently, only slept a little bit of the night. They regularly, consistently, for months, for years, spent their nights in worship. And they regularly, consistently, at the end of every one of those nights in worship, used to end with istighfar. Allahu Akbar. This is ikhlas. This is Allah Taala describing who are the mukhlisin. That their ilm and amal can be very high, but they remain in a state of humility. They are humble before Allah Taala. They have fear in front of Allah Taala because they know it's one thing to do amal. It's another thing for that amal to be pleasing to Allah. It's one thing to do amal. It's another thing for that Allah to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they have that fear. That maybe what I did wasn't pleasing to Allah. Maybe what I did hasn't been accepted to Allah. Maybe what I did, the ibadat I did, was not good enough to wipe away my sins. Maybe this ibadat has not been strong enough and hasn't changed me enough to take me out of my life of sin. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا إِنَ الْفَشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ That the salah, the namaz, the prayer is supposed to keep a person from all types of vulgarity, all types of things that are prohibited. So they would have this fear after they pray that maybe this prayer is not going to be accepted by Allah such that He will make me lower my gaze. He will safeguard me from vulgarity, from profanity. They were afraid of that. They were such people. Allah Akbar they were people of ikhlas. And they were worried about their kabuliyat, their being accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what is the emotional feeling that gives birth to ikhlas. The more and more we think in our heart that I want to make myself pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala happy with me. That is the way that we are going to become people of ikhlas that we are going to want to truly, sincerely please Allah subhanahu That a person should feel that at the end of my day, before I sleep, when my amal are written down or taken up, Allah should be happy with what he saw. And you will see that. 
that that person who is a mukhlis son wants their parents to be happy with them. That person who is a mukhlis spouse, a mukhlis husband, wants his wife to be happy with him. That woman who is a mukhlis wife, she wants her husband to be pleased with him. She doesn't just think that what is the bare minimum requirement for being a wife? What's the minimum amount of food I have to make? She's not going to think like that. She's not going to say what's the minimum amount of time I have to spend with my son. She wants to do the maximum possible. She will do anything and everything until she is satisfied that the other party is pleased with me. The husband should be the same way. The parent should be the same way. The child should be the same way. And the abd, the servant and slave should be the same way. That we should be the same way with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah ta'ala, I'm mukhlis, I'm not an average human being. I'm not namka musulman. All your poetry of Iqbal and all that, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to become the mizdaq of this misra and that misra. I want to be your mukhlis abd. I want to be your true abd. I want to be such a servant and slave that when you look upon me, you're happy with me. I want to be such a servant and slave that when the angels look upon me, they wish that they were humans. Allah Akbar, there's such human beings like that. That when the angels look at them, they say, if this is what humanity was able to achieve, this is that Ashraf al-Makhlukat, this is that human being who is better than angels, the angels wish that I could have been a human. When the angels look at me and you, the angels are terribly happy that they're not human. <laughs> right? That is ikhlas. Person makes himself pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One major role in ikhlas is niyat. That is why the Prophet said, That actions are according to intentions. So the power of niyat, the power of intention, is something that's going to make us mukhlas. What is the niyat that we're supposed to have in everything that we do? The niyat is that whatever we do must be done for the rada, for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. I have no other intention of doing anything. I have no other intention in living life itself. The only reason I'm alive is to get the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how deep it is. Not just the only reason I'm studying, the only reason I'm working, the only reason I'm being good, the only reason I'm worshipping. That is there. All my ibadat is for Allah, all my tilawat is for Allah, all my good deeds, my good words is for Allah. We should think that, Ya Allah, this life that you've given me, that it's for you. I have no other purpose in living. There is no other value in life except that part of life that earns your pleasure and is a means of me attaining your happiness. That is why the Prophet said, That actions are going to be based according to their intentions. So this is a general intention we can make for any type of action that I want to do it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean? Let me explain to you. Especially how we can get ikhlas into our amal. Early Muslims, they wouldn't do anything for their own pleasure. In other words, they wouldn't do things in the deen for their own self-satisfaction. They wouldn't be teaching for their own pleasure. They wouldn't be speaking for their own pleasure. Whatever they would do, they would do only and only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Imam Abu Hanifa ta'ala was known that he was a very silent person. He was a person in his tabiyat, he preferred not to talk, not to speak. And if anybody went to go meet him, just to meet him, they would sit next to him and he, they would be silent and he would be silent. He would just sit there and be silent. 
And some books in his biography support that he could sit for an hour and be silent with someone. He would be sitting silently and they would be sitting silently. Maybe they were thinking that he'll say something. He'll give some irshadat. He will give some guidance. He will say something. He would just sit there and be silent. But if anyone there would ask him a question, Allahu Akbar Kabira, then he would open up. <laughs> then he would answer that question in the most elaborate detail drawn from the Quran and Sunnah. It was his tabiyat. Otherwise, if a person didn't have ikhlas, they would love to speak. They would say, oh, people have come, I just, anybody's come to meet me. It's an opportunity, I will give them a good lecture. Imam Nifa had so much ilm, yet had silence. This is ikhlas. To have so much ilm, but still remain silent. And we are the complete opposite. If we get a little bit of ilm, we want to give a big speech, we want, when we go to a gathering, we should... Tell everyone, everyone should listen to us. We have a little bit of ilm, and to use our American English, a little bit of ilm and a big mouth. <laughs> they had a lot of ilm. And they would remain silent. But if they saw the opportunity to speak was a way to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they would speak and they would speak to earn His pleasure to guide other people. So much ilm, but so much silence. And us, we learn a little bit of ilm and we like to talk a lot. One example from one of the greatest ulama of this ummah, Imam Al-Manif Then to give you an example of another line of ilm, very famous scholar, Imam Ibn Rajab Al-Hanbali, Rahimahullah, very famous Hanbali alam, who lived many centuries ago. He wrote a commentary on a very famous hadith of the Prophet The hadith is Al-Ulama'u Walatata'anbiya'a that the religious scholars, the ulama, are the inheritors of the prophets, the heirs of the prophets. The legacy of the anbiya is bequeathed to the ulama of that ummat. Not every alam can bear this legacy, not every alam is true to this legacy, not every alam has that ikhlas. But the work of the anbiya, when that, once that nabi passes away, has to be taken up by the ulama of that ummat. The work of guiding people, the work of helping people, the work of teaching people the deen. So he writes Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali that there are two types of ilm. One is ilm al-zahir, outward ilm, ilm of Quran, Sunnah, Sharia. And the second is ilm al-batin, the ilm of marifat, the ilm of becoming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what you could call in English Islamic spirituality. So one very famous alim of Islamic spirituality, his name was Hazrat Haji Muhajir Makirahmatullah, Haji Imdadullah Muhajir Makirahmatullah ta'ala. Very big shaykh of tasawwuf, a very big teacher of zikr, a very big purifier of people's hearts. You can think for purposes of tonight's lecture, a very big scholar and teacher of ikhlas. Now to show you an example of his, his own ikhlas, once he was sitting with a bunch of his, a group of his students, and he told the students that whenever a person comes to me and wants to become my student and wants to learn zikr from me, I am so scared of that person like an ordinary man is scared of a lion. I am so scared of that person like an ordinary man is scared of a lion. So his students who were already his students were stunned and they asked the sheikh, what do you mean? And he says, I am so scared of that person because if I accept that person as a student, what the Prophet ﷺ said, that every shepherd will be asked about their flock, 
So if I accept this person as a student, then I will be asked about him on the Day of Judgment. I will be held accountable that did I instruct him? Did I guide him? Did I give her sufficient time? Did I help her sufficiently? So I look at that person who comes to me asking to be a student and I feel as if a lion has come to me to devour me. Allahu Akbar. So then a student said, that, Shaykh, then why do you take students? Then easy solution, you simply tell that person to go away. And he says, but then I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And remember hadith that the Prophet said that every Muslim must help their fellow Muslim. So that person has come to me for help. So if I say no to that person, and if I turn that person away, then I will be held accountable on the day of judgment that a Muslim, your fellow Muslim came to you. And he wanted the greatest help in the world. He wanted you to help him become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He wanted you to help him or her to follow the deen of Islam. And you turn them away. So I feel I have to accept them. So he said, I accept them. And then they said that, how do you reconcile this? On the one hand, so you said that you have so much fear of them. Like you view them like a lion. On the other hand, then you said that you must accept them. Because they've come to you for help. So he says, the way I get out of this predicament, I have this tug of war, two conflicting emotions, is I think to myself, that, look at his ikhlas, Allahu Akbar Kabira, that I think to myself that I am nothing. And I have nothing to save myself on the day of judgment. Maybe if I can help this person, Allah Ta'ala will be happy with me and make whatever help I give him a means of my forgiveness on the day of judgment. And then sometimes I think that even that may be not be accepted from me. So if then on the day of judgment, Allah Ta'ala chooses to send me to hell, maybe there may be one of my students who intercedes on my behalf and tells Allah Subhanahu that no Allah Subhanahu He helped us, take him to Jannat as well. So I look at every student like that, that maybe this is the one that will save me on the day of judgment. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Such ikhlas. Didn't think I'm a big sheikh. People come and want to be my student. No, no, no. This is how they used to think. Such ikhlas brought Hazrat Haji Imdadullah Mahaja Makkari Ta'ala. Such amazing students. The leading ulama of Hind at that time all used to become students. From all walks of life, from all streams of life, from all ideologies. Used to go to this place called Tana Bhavan and UP and used to sit in his company and become a students. Malana Qasim no Notabriyam Ta'ala. Malana Rashid Ahmed Gungoyi Ramtalai, Malana Ashraf Ali Tanvi Ramtalai, Malana Khalid Rahman Sahran Puri Ramtalai, Malana Abdul Qadir Rai Puri Ramtalai. Dozens and dozens of names could be mentioned. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Became his students. Because the teacher with such ikhlas. Allahu Akbar. The person is amazed when one reads the stories and the lives and the teachings of our ulama and mashayikh that this ummah has produced. So much ikhlas. True ikhlas. Uh, just to give you an example of one of his own students, Malan Qasim Nanotri Amtai. He also, it was in his temperament, he didn't like to speak. Very quiet, silent person by nature. Some of you may be familiar with the history of India during the British Empire. There was a new movement that arose in the Hindu religion known as the Arya Samaj. The Arya Samaj were a group that pr- were trying to preach a unique type of Hinduism, which is something closer to monotheism. A almost type of monotheistic Hinduism. Very long, separate topic. And they were doing a lot of missionary work amongst the Muslims in India. 
And some historians suggest that the British were actually trying to support them in this missionary movement. And what happens was that because a lot of the Muslims were not properly educated in their deen, they were Muslims who were leaving the deen of Islam and converting and becoming Hindus due to the missionary work of the Arya Samaj. So then a group of ulama felt that we must do something to counter this effort. And the Arya Samad at this point had gotten so bold that they actually challenged the ulama to a debate. So the ulama felt that, okay, although a debate is not normally the best way to project the haq or the truth of the deen, but at the same time, if you fail to respond to this challenge, and this would also be used as a very big missionary tool that we challenged your ulama, none of them were willing to show up. So they decided who should we nominate. And they got together and they decided, Maulana Qasim Nanotri that he should be the one who should be selected, and he should go and represent the Muslims at this debate. And so he was told, and he said that, okay, if my fellow scholars feel that I'm the person for this job, that if they keep me in du'as, I will go and make this journey. So he got on the train. Now he got on the train, he thought to himself, that when I arrive at the station, a lot of the Muslims will be there, to welcome me, to cheer me on, to take me to the place of the debate. So that's not proper. I don't want to become some type of celebrity. So what he did is, let's say he was supposed to get off at station number 10, he got off one stop earlier on station number 9, so that nobody would be there to receive him. And he walked the rest of the duration to the town of station number 10. On the journey when he was going by foot, he came to a river. And he stand there and he looked at the river. Allahu Akbar. He said, I have to cross. And he looked to his left, there was no bridge. Looked to his right, there was no bridge. He jumped in. <laughs> he swam across the river. He swam across the river, reached the other side, came out on the other side. Now he's sopping wet. Now he is sopping wet and Malana Kassel was a fakir. He didn't have much clothing. He had gone in one simple piece of clothing. So he thought that now what should I do? So what he thought that, okay, I have two garments, I will keep one lower garment around me, and I will hold the top one over my head or on a stick so that it can dry. Once that is dry, I will put that one around my bottom and take the second one off, and I will walk the rest of the journey like this. So Malana Qasim Nanotri the leader of the Muslim ulama, going to debate the Arya Samaj, is going in this fashion, with one piece of garment around him dripping wet, the other on some stick holding it up so it can dry in the sun. Allah Akbar. When he reached that town, then he had uh, a pen name, a tahallus that he used to use. So he took some small room somewhere under a pen name and said, I'll spend the night here. And in the morning I will show up at the appointed time, at the appointed place for the debate. Now on the other side, on station 10, like he had correctly anticipated, a whole bunch of Muslims are there waiting for the train to come. When the train arrives and the passengers get off and the ulama of that town were there, the Muslims of that town were there, all waiting to see Mulana Qasim. And all the passengers get off and none of them is Mulana Qasim. And then the train leaves. All the Muslims are worried, maybe he didn't come. What are we going to do if he didn't come? If he has a no-show? So they got worried, where's Mulana Qasim? So they started worrying and worrying. Somebody managed to contact somehow, someone in the town. Then one alam who had been a student knew the tabiat, the mizaj of his teacher. He knew that something is, there's no, number one thing I know is there's no, he would back it down on the commitment. He must be here. <laughs> he must be coming here somehow. 
So then what they decided is they started going to all the little hotels and rest houses and guest houses. And they start checking, is anybody staying here in the name of Muhammad Qasim? No. Anybody staying here in the name of Muhammad Qasim? No. One place to the other, they kept checking. Then that student remembered that my ustaz has a tahallus, has a nickname, a pen name that he used. So they start checking on that name. They went to one small rest house and they said, yes, somebody by this name is checked in. A very thin person. Yes, yes, that's him. And they finally found out Malana Qasim. When they went to Malana Qasim's room, he was surprised to see them. And he said to them, in Urdu, <laughs> I wanted to remain hidden, but you people have insisted that I should be made public. That is ikhlas. That is ikhlas. The people of today want to travel in VIP first class. They want to have meet and greet. They want to be received with full protocol. They want to be taken, they want 30 people just to meet them at their destination. Allahu Akbar Kamira. What a big difference between the ikhlas of these people and our state of affairs today. So this was a student. How did Malana Qasim Nadramda get this ikhlas? Because he had a teacher who had the ikhlas of Hazrat Haji, Imdadullah Mahaja Makkina Without the company of the people of ikhlas, it is not possible to get ikhlas. Unless we sit with those people who are true and sincere in their heart and in their intention for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are not able to get that sincerity in our own heart. In a famous hadith, all of you... Many of you would have heard this hadith. One of the most often quoted hadith. But still, no matter how many times you hear it or say it, it's one of the most powerful hadith. That Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam mentions that on the Day of Judgment, on Yawm Al-Qiyam, three people will be brought in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One is a mujahid, a real mujahid. Real mujahid. Number two is Al-Alim or Al-Faqih, a scholar. A true scholar. And number three is Al-Qari. A true, beautiful reciter of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the mujahid, that why did you do jihad? And he will say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell him, that decree for him that you will be sent to the hellfire. Allahu Akbar. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that you did this jihad so that you would become a shaheed and you wanted people to remember you. As shaheed. You wanted people to remember you as shaheed. And that is exactly what happened. You were remembered in such a way. So you already got what your intention was. You wanted to be known as shaheed. People after you died remembered you as shaheed. Now there is no reward for you here. Send them to Jahannam. This is for the true mujahid. What can we say of the false mujahid who wants to be known as shaheed? This was for the true mujahid. Allahu Akbar Kabira. In other words, didn't have ikhlas. But what did they have? Amal. This person had an amal bigger than any amal that me and you have. <laughs> he had true jihad. But because he didn't have ikhlas, person wonders at this hadith, what's going to happen to us? Then we have neither the ikhlas, nor do we have the amal. Second person called up, Qari. Also decreed, sent to Jahannam. Why? Because when you recited the Qur'an al-Kareem, you wanted people to think that you had a beautiful voice and you were a beautiful reciter. And people did think that you had a beautiful voice. So whatever you intended you got in this world, there is no reward for you on this day. And Amal, imagine how many hours and hours that person must have practiced recitation. Imagine how many hours and hours that person must have done memorization. 
And all of that amal was sound. But they didn't have ikhlas. Again, more amal than any one of us have. Because they didn't have ikhlas, it was not accepted. And third is the alim. Also sent to Jahannam. Why? Because you wanted people to think you were very scholarly. You were very erudite. You wanted people to think you were alama. And people did think you were alama. People didn't call you alama. So you got what you were in, you, you intended. No reward for you on this day. Imagine how many years you must have spent acquiring that ill. Imagine how much time you must have spent teaching and sharing that ill. Had the amal, but didn't have ikhlas. Very famous sahirith. The mujahid, the alim, and the qari being sent to Jahannam because they didn't have ikhlas. Allahu Akbar Kabira. What is going to happen to us, the jahil, the sinner, the ignorant one, the cowardly one, the lazy one, the unworshipful one, plus we don't have ikhlas. Allahu Akbar Kabira. We should be scared. We should think, we should reflect that we must become people of ilm, amal and ikhlas. If we can free ourselves from this riya, riya in Arabic and you have the same word in Urdu, it means to do something for show, to do something out of ostentation, for display, to be a show off. I want people to praise me. I want people to look at me. I want people to think of me. If we can free ourselves of this riya, we will be freed of two very big sins. And we will be given one very big ni'mat. If we free ourselves of riya, we will be freed from two very big sins and we will be given one very big ni'mat. Number one, if we free ourselves from riya, we will be freed from the sin of takabur. If we free ourselves from being a show-off, we will free ourselves from the sin of being arrogant and prideful. Because you're only arrogant and prideful if you're aware of how other people perceive you. If you're aware of how other people are looking at you. If you want to make yourself praiseworthy in the eyes of creation, then you will fall into the gumber. Because every one of us has some attribute, some sifat, some quality that is praiseworthy. Everyone will have something. That somebody will praise you for. You will be a good student, a good athlete, a good speaker, a good worker, a good teacher. Something will be there. And if your riya is such that you want to be praised by creation, you will feel arrogant and conceit and vanity about that attribute that you have. But we have to free ourselves from riya. How? By making ourselves people who want to be praised by the creator. We are not interested in or concerned in, in any way of the praise of creation we want to be praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. It means nothing to us, whether people think of us highly or people think of us lowly. We're talking about worldly creation. Obviously we want our parents to be happy with us. We want our children to be happy with us. We want our spouse to be happy with us. We want our students and teachers to be happy with us. But in terms of worldly praise, not these important relationships, we want to be famous, we want to be celebrity, we want to be popular, we want to be cool. And in the name of that, we fall into the cover, we fall into arrogance. It was actually Iblis's riyah that led him into the cover. If Iblis had been a humble jinn and did not care that I have made it to the company of the angels, did not feel that I should be looked at, that I am something, 
as well. That I have a certain maqam and people should praise me. He would have never had that takumbar. So the first sin that we will save ourselves if we have ikhlas and save ourselves from riya is takumbar. The second major sin is hasad. That we have envy and jealousy for other people. Why? This normally happens because I want to be in the spotlight. That's riya. So if somebody else is in the spotlight, we get hasad. I want to be the famous one. I want to be the popular one. I want to be the loved one. Why does somebody like him? Why is somebody go to her? Why is somebody praising her? So because I wanted to be in the spotlight, I will have hasad or envy for the person who gets the spotlight. And if I didn't care about being in the spotlight of creation, I just wanted to be pleasing to Allah, then I wouldn't mind at all if somebody else else got the spotlight. I wouldn't feel hasad for them. I wouldn't feel hasad at all. So if we can save ourselves from riya, we can also save ourselves from hasad. And hasad is a disease that can corrupt even the purest of hearts. Hasad can separate brother from brother. Mostly in Pakistan, whenever you find this situation, which is not uncommon anymore, that people come to me and say, Oh, we do brothers. Hasad. One brother wanted to be in the spotlight, the other brother got the spotlight. That simple. If you don't want to be in the spotlight, you won't care who gets the spotlight. But if you want that I have to be in the spotlight, then you will feel a fire of envy. A fire of envy in your heart when the other person gets the spotlight. Allahu Akbar. You will be burning upset. This is such a devastating sin of hasad that even the brotherly bond which Allah spawns on the Quran has even mentioned all, like the motherly bond there are two bonds that are special the motherly bond and the brotherly bond Allah subhanahu says in Quran what is the first relationship Allah subhanahu invokes on the day of judgment that a person is going to be so scared on the day of judgment that they will flee even from, it means even from their own brother. It means the brother is akrab to them. That they are going to be in such a state of dismay and disarray that they will flee even from their own brother. That is how dangerous hasad is. Hasad makes us willingly flee from our own brother in this world. Where Qiyamah was going to make us unwillingly free from the brother. That is hot, a fire of hasadism. Why? Because we had riya. Because we wanted the spotlight. So if we can become people of ikhlas and save ourselves from riya, that's what you see in this world of politicians. Riya, that leads them to hasad. They want the spotlight. So they hate one another. They have hatred, envy, jealousy, malice, spite for one another. Why? All of that, all of those sins, bughs, kina, hasad, all of that, because they had riya. They want to be in the spotlight. So two major sins that we save ourselves from, takabur and hasad. And one very big nimat we get, if we can save ourselves from riya, and that is we get the incredible blessing of tawadu, ids, Ajiu in Kisari, we get humility. That person who takes themselves out of the spotlight, and that person who is worried always that I am actually in the bigger spotlight of Allah, is worried about that, that Allah's gaze is falling on me.
then that person becomes humbled. Gets another very difficult attribute to acquire. Humility. Modesty. Shame. Haya. Person will feel haya. One of the things our young people have very difficulty with. All of us, old, young, teacher, student, have difficulty with haya. If we can save ourselves from riya and become people of ikhlas, we will be able to get this ni'mat of humility. And that humility will bring to us the incredible blessing of haya, of modesty and of shame before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you don't have riya, and when you have ikhlas, you will find a lot of barakah, a lot of madad from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our lives. And for this we will go back and look at some of the earliest stories of Sahaba Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anwajmai to show you first their ikhlas and to show you the incredible madad and nusrat, the help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that comes on the people of ikhlas. Sayyidina Khalid ibn Mudeed radiallahu ta'ala anhu who is not aware of his name? The greatest mujahid in the history of Islam. The truest mujahid in the history of Islam. In the time of Sayyidina Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when Sayyidina Umar was Khalifa and Amir al-Mu'mineen, he sent a letter out with, by courier with a messenger who rode out to the Muslim army and gave that letter into the hand of the commander-in-chief of the Muslim army, the Amir al-Lashkar, the Amir al-Mujahideen, Sayyidina Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Open that letter. In that letter, Sayyidina Umar, Khalifa of the time, said, that I am, due to certain wisdoms, I am removing you from the position of general and leader of the army. You have two options. If you want, you can continue to fight, but you will fight as an ordinary soldier. You will not have any command, not of the whole army, not of a battalion, not of a regiment. You will fight as the lowest rung of soldier, infantrymen. Or if you want, you can return to Medina Manawara. In our American English, I can give you a desk job. I can give you a desk job. You can return to Medina Manawara. Sayyid Khabar al-Badid read the letter, put the letter away, told the person who was mentioned the letter, you are the general now, I'm your soldier. Allah Akbar. Is there any general of this country or any other who is ready to fight just like a little soldier? Allah Akbar Kabira. Some of the other Sahaba Kiram and Tabin at that time also, who were in the army, were amazed and they asked him right there, that how could you do this? Especially the Tabin, because amongst the Tabin, Sayyidina Khalid was a legend. Allah Akbar was a man who had inspired them in their jihad. And they were stunned. And he said that there's nothing easier for me in the life, that, and nothing that was more easier for me in my whole life than what I just did. Because they had ikhlas. He said that that very same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for whose sake and for whose pleasure I was leading this army, for that very same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his sake and in his pleasure I will serve the army. And he said in ikhlas that this was a burden on me. That general who doesn't want to be a general, that leader who doesn't want to be a leader, that speaker who doesn't want to be a speaker, that alam who doesn't want to be an alim, that shaykh who doesn't want to be a shaykh. This was Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid ta'ala anhu. Says this was the easiest decision in my whole life. As otherwise I had no excuse 
But now Sayyidina Umar has told me that now I can fulfill my dream of living like an ordinary simple soldier. Not going to be asked about the whole army or anything. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Such ikhlas. And even though some of the Tabin at that time thought that losing his generalship was going to lose them that battle, they won that battle convincingly. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala's mother the Nusrat came. Allah Ta'ala was so happy and pleased with the ikhlas of Khalid ibn Walid. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Another story from jihad. Very famous story. You've been raised on it as children. He has the enemy in his hand. Who is the enemy by the way? The Sahaba Mujahid were not murderers. The person who he had in front of him was a person who had left their home in Makkah Mukarramah, not just because they're unbeliever, but they were that unbeliever who had left their home at the Kuffar of the Quraysh of Makkah who had marched from Makkah onto the Muslims with the purpose of killing the Prophet ﷺ and wiping Islam off the face of the earth. That's the person he had in front of him. So he was about to defeat him in battle. And then the unbeliever also realized that I'm just about to be defeated and I will I will die. And he spit on the face of Sayyidina Ali Now if it was any one of us at that moment, what we would have done is we would have given a couple of more punches before. We would have engaged in torture. We would do some torture and then kill. That's the only difference it would have made on us. Instead of killing a clean, honorable death, we would have inflicted some torture and then killed. Sayyidina Ali for a split second, after that, he stopped. Allahu Akbar Kabira. How much ikhlas these people had. Cannot imagine. Not imagine. Today somebody cuts you off in Lahori traffic and you race after them and you want to yell at them and you lower your window. <laughs> Let alone if somebody was to spit on our face. Let alone if our sworn enemy was to spit on our face. Let alone our sworn enemy who was in our kabu, who was in our grip and grasp was to spit on our face. But Sayyidina Ali Rasulullah so much ikhlas. Why he realized that a new emotion has come in me. Before I was killing him only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise human life is sacred. I have no right to take a life. But because he was trying to take the Prophet's life, I have to take his life. I had ikhlas, purity of intention. That is still there. But now in addition, he didn't lose the ikhlas. That intention is 100% still there. But plus 1% now, I also want to kill him because he spit on me. That plus 1% he realized was not acceptable. Allah Akbar. They also recognized what ikhlas was. They knew that the slight addition in intention is not acceptable now. Allah Akbar Kamira. So the kafir was stunned and he looked at him and he said, oh, he didn't expect that that was going to be the result of his spinning. So Sinan told him right there, I can't kill you. Go and fight someone else. Allah Akbar, go and fight someone else. What if he gets up and fights and kills some sahaba? Makes some sahaba shake. Sinan can't do it. The kafir was stunned. I asked him, why? Why have you let me go? So he told him, that before I was killing you only for the sake of my Lord and my deen and my prophet, and now I have that same thing, but also I'm upset with you because you spit so I can no longer kill you. 
the kafir in that moment of battle such a hard-hearted kafir and you can't appreciate this I want you to understand why I say the kuffar were hard-hearted this is a person I've listened to this carefully this man is a person who has seen Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, who has seen husn in abuwat who has seen nur in abuwat and still did not accept iman that's how hard-hearted this kafir is this person has seen nur in abuwat and is so hard-hearted that they want to kill the Prophet ﷺ. That is how hearted this person is. This person has seen the nur of Abu Bakr and Umar and the Sahaba. When you go in front of such a beautiful enemy, you would think twice. They saw the beauty and nobility of the Sahaba, and they were still so hard-hearted that they took out their sword. Such a hard-hearted kafir was won over by the ikhlas of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. A moment of ikhlas of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu melted his heart. This is the mother and nusrat and barakah of ikhlas. The barakah of ikhlas was what made that hard-hearted kafir. Even he saw the Prophet that didn't make him accept Islam. But the barakah that Allah ta'ala sent due to the ikhlas of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that kafir said, I accept Islam right here, right now, on the battlefield. Allahu Akbar kabira. Look at the power, the barakah of ikhlas. This is our deen. Next generation, Tabin. One of the most famous Tabin, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mubarak rahimahullahu ta'ala. Very early, great muhaddith. Big scholar of hadith. He was the first to compile this hadith of the Prophet pertaining to spirituality. He wrote, he compiled a collection of hadith called Kitab al-Zuhud. That is still available today. Now Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mubarak, his father's name was Mubarak. His name was Abdullah and his father's name was Mubarak. Mubarak was a poor man who had been, was traveling once, was walking by once an apple orchard. And he saw that there was an apple that was fallen from the tree. So because he was poor and he was hungry, he picked up that apple and he started eating it. When he was eating the apple that had fallen from the tree, the owner of that apple orchard came. He said, this is my apple tree. This is my apple that you're eating. Allah Akbar. <laughs> Mubarak of the Tabin, he said to the man, I'm sorry and I will compensate you for this apple. I'm a poor man. I have no money to offer you. But if there's any work to be done in your orchard, however much work you think, is equal to the cost of this apple, I will give such amount of hours, my wages, my work for you. So the gardener, the owner of the apple orchard said, no, this is a very big thing that you have done. You have stolen my apple. So then Mubarak, he was a very muttaki Muslim. He feared Allah SWT. So he said, please, whatever you want me to do, I want you to forgive me for this act of eating your apple. I did it only out of hunger. But I accepted it was your apple. I didn't know that this tree was public or private. I thought this tree was just public property. Just a natural apple tree. I didn't know this was your private tree. But whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. He said, okay, there is one thing that if you do it, I will forgive you for this and I will not call you to task on the day of judgment. Mubarak said, I want to do that. He said, I have a daughter. She is blind. She is deaf. And she is mute. And she is paralyzed. Allah Akbar. I want you to marry my daughter. 
I want you to marry my daughter. You will have to imagine that you would have to take care of this woman as your wife for years. The Mubarak said that if I do this, you will forgive me for eating your apple? He said, yes. He said, okay, I'll marry your daughter. Allahu Akbar. So then he said, okay. They made arrangements. There was a function of nikah. After the nikah took place, in the early Muslim period, there was, didn't see their wife until after nikah. After the nikah took place, Mubarak was taken to, okay, this is your room. You will be given a room on the house of the orchard owner. And you will live here in this house. And you will work and assist him in his orchard because you are now a son-in-law. And your wife is waiting for you inside the room. Mubarak went inside the room. Allah Akbar, he saw that his wife is fully functional. She can see. She can speak. She can hear. She's extremely beautiful. She's extremely well-mannered. He was taken aback. The next day when he met the master, the owner of the orchard, he asked him that, Mubarak, how did you find my daughter? And he said that, Sir, <laughs> she is not at all the way you described her to me. <laughs> and he said, Yes. I have no children. I have just this one daughter. And I have all of this wealthy orchard that you see. I wanted for many years to find a pious young man to marry my daughter. So that day when I happened to walk past you and I, and I saw that you were eating the apple... You seem like a pious person to me. But I thought I would take your test. And when you agreed that you would do this, you would do anything to be forgiven for the act of innocently eating an apple out of hunger which you thought was public property, then I realized that you were the right person. That not only will you give you my daughter, but when I pass, and you will assist me in my orchard, but when I die, you and my daughter will take over this whole orchard. Allahu Akbar Kabira. The Barakah of Ikhlas and then they had a son. So this is the story of Mubarak. And then Allah Ta'ala gave such a pious man who was married to such a pious woman a son by the name of Abdullah who became such a big hadith scholar known as Abdullah ibn Mubarak. That is mentioned in her books that when he used to teach hadith there were 1100 people who used to repeat his hadith. There were no speakers at that time. So in the big teachings of Hadith, there would be people in, circum, in semicircles throughout the gathering who would repeat the Hadith. 1100 speakers, you can imagine. Such a big gathering. Allahu Akbar Kabira. And Abdullah bin Mubarak, Rahimullah Ta'ala himself had so much ikhlas. That the house next to him was owned by a Jew. And somebody came to buy that house. So the Jew said, for as an example, 10,000 dinars, price of the house. So the person said, but such a house of this size, with this size plot, and this neighborhood, should be 5,000 dinars. The Jew said, yes. So why are you asking 10,000 dinars? So the Jew said, the price of the house and land is 5,000 dinars, and the price of being the neighbor of Abdullah bin Mubarak, that's 5,000 dinars. Allahu Akbar Kabira. As we say in American English, they used to drive the real estate property prices higher. These days, some of our Muslims, when they live abroad, they drive the real estate property lower. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Such ikhlas. Pure people. Mukhlisin al They were misdaq of this ayah.
Although we don't have so much time, I will fast forward from Sahaba Tabin to a more contemporary example for you, 20th century, Pakistan, Multan. Very famous alim migrated from India to Multan by the name Malana Khair Muhammad Jalandri Ramatlai. Founded an institution there by the name of Khair al-Madaris. Malana Khair Muhammad Jalandri Ramatlai was a very big alim of Hadith. A very big Hadith scholar. And he used to teach the Sahih of Bukhari in its entirety in a one-year special course as the last final course for the students who were becoming alim. And his teachings and his lectures in Bukhari were so famous that from all over the country people would come to that madrasa just to become his student and study Bukhari under him. Once he was sitting and teaching Bukhari and he was mentioning a hadith teaching a hadith, and then he mentioned a question that some people raised on the hadith. And after he raised the question, all of a sudden he paused. And he paused for a few minutes, a few minutes. And then, what happened actually is he didn't know the answer to the question. It slipped his mind. Now if it was any one of us, like me, a master professional teacher, we would just, Again, next to these, right? He paused. And then he told the students, such a famous mandat, he told the students that at this time I cannot think of the answer to this itiraz, to this criticism. Maybe one of you can think of the answer. The law of the students start thinking. Five minutes passed, ten minutes passed, several minutes passed. None of the students could come up with the answer. So the class was at an impasse. So what did he do? He said, okay, wait over here. One of his students who had studied several years before under him had been hired by him also to be a teacher in that madrasa. Teaching a junior level. It's like today is head of department can't figure something out in the engineering lab. So he goes to the assistant professor of engineering. <laughs> the Malal Khair Muhammad said, I will go ask my student and he will tell us the answer. Allah Akbar. Can you imagine for a teacher today to say that? That I will go and ask my student, I don't know the answer, I will go and ask my student in the next classroom. So he got up and he was winding up his things to go. One of the students in the back quickly ran out of the classroom, went to that other teacher and said, Ustad, Sheikh here Muhammad is going to come to you and ask you a question on this hadith in Bukhari. And this is the question that he's not been able to figure out. So the teacher was in the middle of his class, Muhammad He came, and he said, I need to talk to you. He came out, had Bukhari Sharif with them. In this hadith, this itraz is raised, this question comes to mind. What is the answer? I'm going to look at the ikhlas of the student. The student took the book, read the hadith, thought about it for a while, and then looked at his teacher. And the Malachim said, do you know the answer? And then he said that, Shaykh, when, when I studied Bukhari with you so many years ago, and you taught us this hadith, you explained this hadith like this. He could have said that, Jiji Hazrat, I remember No, no. He said, Shaykh, when you taught me Bukhari, several years ago, and we came to this hadith, you explained the hadith like this. Allahu Akbar Kameer. It's ikhlas. When you have a teacher like Malana Khair Muhammad with ikhlas like him, he gets students with ikhlas like this. 
These were people of ikhlas. This is a 20th century example. Our ummah has been an ummah of ikhlas. Now I will just end with you on the two most important types of ikhlas that me and you have to get in this day and age. If we can get these two types of ikhlas, then every other type of ikhlas will follow. And if we don't have these two types of ikhlas, if we are lacking or deficient in any way in these types of ikhlas, then no other type of ikhlas will come in our heart. There is no way a person who does not have the two types of ikhlas and we are about to discuss can say Mnaji me mukhlisa. Me mukhlis. Marshatka mukhlis fardu. Impossible. It will be untrue. She will be untrue. There is no way a person can be mukhlis until and unless they have these two types of ikhlas. And the first thing I said, this is the second point, and the first point was, if we get these two types of ikhlas, every other type of ikhlas will automatically fall. Number one, to be mukhlis with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, To be a mukhlis ummati. To be a mukhlis member of this ummat. That is a major ikhlas. To become a true lover of the Prophet ﷺ. To be a true follower of the Prophet ﷺ. Can a son tell their father that I am your true son? I am a true and loyal son? But then disobey their father? Can their son tell their father that I am your true loyal son? But then they don't follow their father? Can a son tell their father that you, I am a true loyal son? And you are my ideal father, but I don't like to follow your example. I don't like to look like you. I don't like to make my attributes like you. I don't like to have the gentleness that you have. I don't like to have the softness that you have. I don't like to have the spirituality that you have. I don't like to have the taqwa that you have. I don't wish to follow the way of ibadat that you have. I don't wish to follow the way of dua that you have. I don't wish to follow your external appearance. I don't wish to follow your method of eating. I don't wish to follow your method of living. Imagine if a son said all of that to their father, but then said, but mayakum mukhlas beta. Would any father in the world say, ji beta, mayakum mukhlas beta. Never. To be mukhlis with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, To read and understand and learn his seerat, his hayat tayyibah. To study his adab and akhlaq sharifa. To study his shama'il mubarakah. To study his noble appearance, his noble characteristics, his noble virtues. To dive ourselves deep in the oceans of his sunnah, his hadith and mubarakah, his talimat and nabawiyyah. His teachings and instructions and guidance for how He wanted us to be. To immerse ourselves in the kifiyat in Nabawiyyah. To make ourselves the way He was. To get the sunnah love for Allah Ta'ala in our heart. To get the sunnah fear for Allah Ta'ala in our heart. To get the sunnah compassion for humanity in our heart. To become mukhlis. To become a mukhlis ummati. To become a mukhlis member of this ummah. Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make dua for this ummah. Ya ummati, ya ummati. That was the whole dua. Comes in a hadith, there are many duas, but one hadith says that Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make dua just this word. Ya ummati, ya ummati. Fakat. That's it. 
means his desire for us was so much in his heart, he couldn't express it in words. So all he could say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was, Ya Ummati, Ya Ummati. And he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew his heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saw what was in his breast. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew the deep desires that he had in his heart for his ummah. How mukhlas an ummati? Very simple. As mukhlas as he was our Nabi. Jitne mukhlas Nabi, Sayyidina Rasulullah the, humne utne mukhlas ummati manna hai. Us se kam nahi chalanga. Us se kam par guzara nahi ho sakta. Ab kaun keh sakta hai? Koi keh sakta hai? Ki jitne mukhlas Nabi wo the, itna hi mukhlas ummati mein ho. Until you can say to yourself, not to someone, until you can say to yourself in your heart that I am as mukhlas an ummati of him as he was a mukhlas nabi of me, we don't have ikhlas. And if you don't have this type of ikhlas, you think there's some other ikhlas that will help you? You think being a mukhlas employee will help you? If you don't have this ikhlas, you think being a mukhlas boss will help you? If you don't have this ikhlas, you think being a mukhlas citizen will help you? If you don't have this ikhlas, to be a mukhlas member of this ummat, Allah Akbar. And Sayyidina Rasulullah was the most mukhlas Nabi. Allah Akbar. Nabiul Anbiya, Nabiul Malaika, Nabiul Kul. Was rahmatun lil alameen wa ma arsalnaka illa rahmatun lil alameen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran that we did not send you except as a mercy unto the worlds who is saying this Rabbul alameen is saying that he is rahmatun lil alameen the Rabb of all of the worlds sent him as a mercy unto all of the worlds Allah Akbar such a mukhlis nabi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and Sayyidina Rasulullah's deepest desire was exactly this. Sayyidina Rasulullah's deepest desire was that he hoped that he would get some mukhlis ummatis. So in his lifetime, Allah Ta'ala bestowed upon him the most mukhlis of ummatis, that group of insan known as Sahaba Kiram. So if you want to learn what it means to be a mukhlis ummati, you just have to learn and look at the lives of Sahaba Kiram that they changed everything about themselves. They changed their outer, their inner, their culture, their beliefs, their ideology, their mannerisms, their characteristics, every single thing about themselves. And they drowned themselves in the love for the Prophet ﷺ. They drowned themselves in being ummati. They may have been severed from their tribe, from their clan, from their family, from their homes. They may have been persecuted, but they had the izzat of being ummati. Of being a member of Ummat Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The izzat that gave Bilal al-Habashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the slave, the downtrodden slave of Makkah Mukarramah, was given an izzat. Why? Because he made himself a mukhlis ummati. Allahu Akbar Kamira. Such that when he walked on this earth, it's amazing. Such that when his footsteps fell on this earth, the power of his ikhlas was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to make his footsteps fall in the sands of Jannah. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Itna mukhlis ummati. Itna mukhlis ummati. 
مقبول محبوب مقرب to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted and beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he was a mukhlas ummati and the second type of ikhlas first type of ikhlas to be mukhlas with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the second type of ikhlas is to be mukhlas with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be mukhlas with Arhamar Rahimeen to become mukhlis with ahkam al-hakimin to become mukhlis with dhul jalali wal intikam to become mukhlis with al-hayyul qayyum to become mukhlis with madiki yawmiddin to become mukhlis with our rabbi kareem that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in quran ya ayuhan nas ya ayuhal insan ma gharraka bi rabbikal kareem that oh insan oh humanity what is it Gharraka, what has deceived you? What has taken you out of your ikhlas? What has made you so insincere to your Rabb? What has made you so untrue to your Rabb? What has made you so disloyal to your Rabb? What has made you so unloving towards your Rabb? What has made you so uncaring towards your Rabb? What has taken out the desire in your heart for pleasing your Rabb? مَا غَرَّكَ بِرَبِّكَ الْكَرِيمِ Your Rabb that is kareem. That is generous, that is Rahim, that is merciful, that is kind, that is loving, that is benevolent. To become a mukhlis abd, to become the true, sincere servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What level of ikhlas? How mukhlis of an abd? To be as true an abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our Rabb. اتنا اچھا بندہ بننا جتنا اچھے اللہ اچھا خدا ہے اللہ حکمر کبھی آپ کہہ سکتے ہیں کہ یا اللہ میں اتنا ہی اچھا آپ کو بندہ ہوں جتنا تو میرا اچھا رب ہے اصل عشق یہ ہوتا ہے عشق کو چلنے کا نام نہیں ہے عشق اشعار پڑھنے کا نام نہیں ہے عشق ایک دل کی کیفیت کی حقیقت کا نام ہے عشق الہائی اور عشق رسول صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم to be so true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you can feel in your heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I want to be as true a slave and servant to you as you have been as true a lord and rub and Allah to me Allahu Akbar Kabeerah if you don't have this ikhlas if we're not a mukhlis abd You think being a mukhlis employee will help us? Being a mukhlis father or mother will help us? Without being a mukhlis servant? Can the son tell his father that I'm disloyal to you but I'm loyal to my friend? Can any other loyalty substitute for the filial loyalty as we say in English? Filial piety? They call it piety. It's a term in English. Filial piety. <laughs> Can there be anything, any sifat, anything we can bring? Can our degrees help us? Can our education help us? Can our money help us? Can our status in society help us? If we don't have this ikhlas, become a mukhlis abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which means that we fear Him publicly and we fear Him privately. That we worship Him in open and we worship Him in secret. 
That we are with Him when we are alone, as we are with Him when we are in front of others. To be a mukhlis abd with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most kamil rab, the most kamil zat, the most haseen and jameel zat, the most beautiful, the most noble, the most wondrous, the most perfect rab. That's why Sayyidina Ali used to say that, Oh Allah, it is sufficient izzat and honor for me that you are my rab. And it's sufficient sharf and grace for me that I am your abd. The asl is the abd, the rab relationship. Can we even make dua that Allah Ta'ala make me your true abd? Make me your true mu'min. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say. وَمَا أُمِرُوا That they have not been commanded with anything except that they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How? With ikhlas. مُخْلِسِينَ Deep. With ikhlas. So this ni'mat of ikhlas, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable each and every one of us to become a person of ikhlas and to get this grace that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah yuhibbul mukhlisin that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people of ikhlas may He make us people of ikhlas may He make this ikhlas a means of getting His qurb and marfat may He make us His mukhlis amd and may He make us a mukhlis ummati and due to the barakah of these two types of ikhlas may He bestow upon us all of the rest of ikhlas may He make us people of amal may He make us people of ilm wa akhir da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen before we make du'a, we will make a short zikr. Close your eyes and bow your head. Reflect upon what was said, what was heard. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an al-Kareem, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ تَذَرَّعًا مُخِيفَةً And remember your Rabb تَذَرَّعًا With all humility. خِيفَةً Secretly and silently. وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ And remember your Rabb inside of yourself. تَذَرَّعًا مُخِيفَةً All humility and in all secrecy. We make near that, Ya Allah, we are doing amal on this verse of the Qur'an, that we are humbly, secretly, silently remembering you inside ourself from the depth of our being, from the core of our heart. And as you have said in the Qur'an, وَذْكُرْ إِسْمَ رَبِّكَ وَتَبَتَّلْ إِلَيْهِ تَبْتِيلًا That make the dhikr of the name of your Rabb, and the name of our Rabb is Allah. وَتَبَتَّلْ إِلَيْهِ تَبْتِيلًا and disconnect yourself from everything in this world and try to connect yourself to Him through His remembrance. Ya Allah, we make need that we are disconnecting ourselves from all of our worldly thoughts, that we are connecting ourselves to Your remembrance by focusing on Your Ismi Azim, Your Ismi Jalala, as if our hearts are silently, humbly calling out Your name, as if our hearts are saying, Allah, Allah, Allah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Make dua subhana rabbi al-al-mahab Allahumma salli ala sayyiduna Muhammad Wa ala ala sayyiduna Muhammad Wa mubarak wa sallam Rabbana zalamna anfusana Wa illam tagfir lana Wa tarhamna lanakunanna mana khasirin Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Zalamna Anfusana. Ya Allah, we have wronged ourselves. 
Ya Allah, we have gone far from the path of ikhlas. Ya Rabbi we have become the most disloyal of your servants. We are the most untrue of your servants. Ya Allah, we have allowed ourselves to become the most unloving of your servants. Ya Allah, we have not been true to you. We have not been true to Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We have become misdaq of the ayah wa ma qadr Allah haqqa qadri. Nalamna anfusana, Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for our sins. We ask you to forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, we ask you to shower your mercy upon us. We ask you to guide us back to this path of ikhlas. We ask you to shower your hidayah upon us once again. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have lost the way of the Quran, Sunnah and Sharia. Ya Allah, we have fallen prey to the ways of dunya, nafs and shaitan. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have become mukhlis for the dunya. We have become mukhlis for our nafs. We have become mukhlis for shaitan. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from this deception. Save us from this ghurur. Save us from this delusion. Ya Allah, we ask you to bring us back onto the path of the we ask you to make us as well amongst the mukhlisin. Allahumma ja'alna min al-mukhlisin. Ya Allah, make us amongst your true and sincere followers. Make us amongst your loyal and loving worshippers. Ya Allah, make us amongst your loyal and loving slaves. Make us amongst the loyal and loving members of this ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to make us a true ummati of our truest Nabi. We ask you to make us a true ghulam of our truest Nabi. And Ya Allah, we ask you to make us a true abd of you, Ya Allah, our true and only Rabb. Ya Allah, you are our one and only Rabb. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you have billions of servants in this world who are mukhlis. And Ya Allah, but we have only one you. Ya Allah, if you accept not our du'as, if you do not make us amongst the mukhlisin, then Ya Allah, there is no place for us to turn to. Ya Allah, where will we be on that day of judgment? Ya Rabbi Kareem, we seek refuge from the fate of that mujahid who has to go to hell. We seek refuge from the fate of that alim who will be led to hell. We seek refuge from the fate of that qari who will be led to hell. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have very little or no amal even with us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have very little or even no ilm with us. Ya Allah, we ask you to bestow upon us ikhlas. Ya Allah, make us mukhlis in every sense of the world. Make us mukhlis as humans. Make us mukhlis as children. Make us mukhlis as parents. Make us mukhlis as members of this society. Grant us all of the types of ikhlas due to the barakah of the two true types of ikhlas. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you that you forgive us all of our sins that we did out of heedlessness, all of the sins that we did out of laziness, and Ya Allah we ask you to forgive us for the terrible sins that we did knowingly, that we deliber- we did deliberately, we did while knowing that we were Muslim, we did them while knowing that we were mu'min, we did them while believing in your oneness Ya Rabbi Kaneem, we did them while testifying to the nabuwat of your Mustafa Ya Allah forgive us for all of these sins forgive us for the sins that we did ilman iradatan, forgive us for the sins that we did jahalatan, nisyanan Ya Rabbi Kaneem, forgive us for the sins that we did in the past. Take us out from all of the sins that we are afflicted in the present. And Ya Allah, protect us from falling back into sin in the future. Ya Allah, keep us away from sinful company. Keep us away from sinful media. Keep us away from harmful ideology. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us the pious company, the pious teachings. Ya Allah, drown us in the Quran and the Sunnah and this deen. Ya Allah, immerse us in the teachings of the deen. Ya Allah, drag us onto this deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, if ever we fall lazy, if ever we return to sin, Ya Rabbi Kareem, from the tips of our hair to the soles of our feet, Ya Allah, we ask that you drag us onto the Quran, Sunnah, and Sharia. We ask that you accept these du'as that we offer in this night on the state. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you accept these du'as and remember us when we forget you. We ask you to have mercy on us when we sin against you. We ask you to send guidance upon us, Ya Allah, when we go astray. Ya Allah, we ask you to remember our knowledge when we start to do the work of ignorance. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya 
Allah, we ask you to always remember us in your hidayah. Ya Allah, we ask you to make us amongst the mukhlisin. Ya Allah, remove from us our laziness, remove from us our apathy, remove from us our disinterestness. Ya Allah, many of us, our hearts have fallen sleepy. Ya Allah, many of our hearts have fallen dead. Yet in the beginning, we have become numb to the teachings of this deen. We have become numb to the Quran al-Kareem. We have become numb to Nabi al-Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask that you take away this numbness. Soften our hearts for the deen. Incline our hearts towards the deen. Fill our hearts with love for you, love for the beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and love for the deen of Islam. And Ya Allah, make our hearts have karahat for the dunya. Put in our hearts a dislike for all of the things that lead us away from you. Put in our hearts a severe dislike from all of the things that can come between us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you remove the effects of our sins. Ya Allah, we ask you to remove the memories of sin. We ask you to remove the pleasures of the sin. Ya Allah, we ask you to remove from our hearts the desire to do sin. Ya Allah, we ask you to make us mukhlis members of this ummat. Ya Allah, we ask you to make us mukhlis members of your makhluk. Ya Allah, we pray for each and every member of this ummat. Ya Allah, we pray for the Muslimin of this ummat. Ya Allah, shower your special karam, madad, and nusrat upon them. Ya Allah, put your special mercy into their hearts. Ya Allah, we pray for the halat of this ummat. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us aman and itminan. We ask that you give us true and lasting aman and itminan that can only come from returning to a life on the deen. Ya Allah, those of us who may be sick or who know people who are sick, Ya Allah, we ask that you grant them the sehati kamila, ajala, mustamira, that you grant them the perfect, noble, and lasting form of health. Those of us who may be needy or who are in difficulty, Ya Allah, grant us to guide us to the purest, noblest forms of wealth. And Ya Allah, those of us who are drowning in your mercies and blessings, who have nothing but our own laziness and nafs to blame, Ya Allah, we ask you to let us overcome our laziness, to let us overcome our nafs, to do amal on our ilm. Ya Allah, you have given us already so much ilm. Make us people of amal. Make us people who do amal on our ilm and grant us more ilm and nafi that we can do amal on. And Ya Allah, grant us istiqamat and our ikhlas. Raise us on the day of judgment amongst the mukhlisin. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Rabbana takabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim. Wattubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahim.